Hello and welcome to this Endo Life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an Endo Warrior and Endo Health Coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them i don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, And you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. Hi everyone. So today we're continuing our theme of nutrient deficiencies that can disguise themselves as endo-related problems. And today we're talking about B9, otherwise known as folate. So let's dive straight into some of the signs to look for and how they may mimic endo-related issues and symptoms. Okay, so number one is irritability and mood swings. One of the earlier signs of folate deficiency may be irritability and mood swings. Just like vitamin B12, which we explored last week, folate is involved in the production of feel-good neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine. It is also involved in the health of our brain neurons, which are responsible for behavior and emotional regulation. And when damaged and impaired, this can create behavioral changes. Additionally, as you'll come to learn shortly, folate deficiency also causes fatigue and low energy, which often can cause us to feel snappy and irritable. I'm sure many of us can relate to feeling angry, irritable, and short-tempered, especially if we're in pain, tired, or experiencing hormonal issues that I tend to see with clients like low progesterone. However, if you notice this symptom a lot or you find it to be increasing, it's important not to dismiss it as just down to endo and hormones alone and to check your folate status. Number two is extreme fatigue. The fatigue that we can experience with folate may start as feeling just feeling tired a lot and weak. And as a deficiency worsens, it can progress into extreme fatigue, which can easily be mistaken for being endo-related. Folate deficiency is linked to mitochondrial dysfunction. Mitochondria are like the generator in our cells. Each cell is essentially fed by the mitochondria, which takes energy from food and converts it into something called ATP. When folate levels decline, this can lead to less ATP output, resulting in less energy. 
Additionally, folate is essential for the production of red blood cells. When these decline, we end up being less able to transport oxygen around the body. Eventually, we develop a type of anemia called megaloblastic anemia. This is when the body struggles to make fully developed red blood cells and instead forms larger underdeveloped cells called megablasts, which are incapable of carrying and delivering oxygen properly around the body. So the end result is the same as iron deficiency anemia, but how it lowers oxygen is different. Number three is cognitive function problems and brain fog. Folate deficiency may manifest and often does as brain fog, difficulty concentrating, poor memory, etc. There are a few reasons behind this. The first is that folate deficiency has been linked to oxidative stress and inflammation in the brain. Oxidative stress is really another conversation for another time, but think of it as your cells rusting and degrading. These two problems can cause issues with the way the brain functions, such as impairing the signaling pathways that your neurotransmitters travel on and causing damage to brain neurons, which are essential to cognitive function. Think of signaling pathways as the train route, so say London to Glasgow, and the tracks are the neurons. So the tracks that are making the train route are the neurons and your neurotransmitters are the train. The station is a cell receptor, which when the train arrives will trigger a reaction from the cell, just like people getting off the train. So your neurotransmitters are essentially traveling along a signaling pathway that is made up of neurons. These can all become impaired and damaged in the presence of oxidative stress and inflammation. However, your brain neurons can also be damaged another way. Folate plays a lead role in the production and repair of DNA. Neurons require high levels of DNA production and repair to function properly. When folate levels are inadequate, these processes may be affected, leading to neuronal damage and impairments of brain function. As we've discussed already, folate plays a key role in the production of neurotransmitters, which when which when lowered can create feelings of lethargy, lack of motivation, difficulty concentrating and memory problems. Finally, if you do develop folate deficiency anemia, your brain will be receiving less oxygen, resulting again in impaired function. Number four is dizziness. So the neurons and signaling pathways that I just spoke about are also essential to a properly functioning nervous system. Your nervous system is responsible for voluntary actions like taking a step forward, but also involuntary actions too, like breathing. When this gets impaired and damaged, it can result in dizziness and feelings of vertigo. Of course, having anemia and the resulting low oxygen levels can also result in dizziness as well. There may also be a link to orthostatic hypertension, which is a drop in blood pressure upon standing, which manifests as feeling dizzy or faint. However, the evidence for B12 deficiency and orthostatic hypertension is much stronger. And in some cases, these two deficiencies occur together. And so the drop in blood pressure could really be down to the B12 deficiency rather than the folate deficiency. As we've now discussed many times on the show, endometriosis is being associated more and more with dysautonomia and POTS, two conditions that can cause dizziness. Many endopatients are now seeking a diagnosis for these conditions when deficiencies may be at play alongside or instead of dysautonomia. 
Typically, the pathway to diagnosis of POTS or dysautonomia should rule out folate, B12, vitamin D, and iron deficiencies, as they can all manifest as symptoms of dysautonomia, and it's normally a process of elimination with the diagnosis. However, it's much easier and quicker to get your blood nutrient status checked over getting a diagnosis of POTS. So if you have these symptoms, I would advise that you get these nutrients checked first whilst you're waiting for this referral. Number five, I think we're on five, I've lost count, um, is palpitations. Palpitations can occur with folate deficiency due to the lack of oxygen supply, which can trigger that the heart to beat faster as it works to get more oxygen to our cells and our tissues. Additionally, when folate goes down, homocysteine levels go up. Homocysteine is a naturally occurring amino acid, which is produced when protein is broken down in the body. Normally, folate plays a key role in converting it into other substances, but when these levels lower, homocysteine levels rise. High levels of homocysteine can cause oxidative stress and inflammation, which damage the cardiovascular system and can lead to dysfunction. However, if you do have palpitations of folate deficiency, please don't panic. It's most likely down to the anemia as the cardio damage occurs with prolonged deficiencies, not short term. As we discussed earlier, these palpitations may be down to POTS or dysautonomia, but often doctors can dismiss, dismiss symptoms like this as anxiety, especially if you have endo and experience chronic pain, as many doctors will assume you're depressed or anxious as a result of, you know, living like this. Both of these conditions, so depression and anxiety, are associated with endo. So it's a reasonable assumption, but to dismiss your symptoms entirely down to anxiety, I don't think is a wise choice. Trouble breathing. So finally, another one I wanted to raise is trouble breathing. Folate deficiency, like B12, can lead to neurological problems, meaning the function of the nervous system, which regulates processes in the body like breathing, becomes impaired. And so therefore, you can have trouble breathing. Additionally, as you've probably guessed, folate deficiency anemia can also cause breathing difficulties. This symptom, just like palpitations, can often be put down to anxiety or POTS, both of which affect our community. Now, what's worth saying here is that an allergic reaction where you're wheezing, you literally cannot breathe, it's a life-threatening situation, is typically different from the troubled breathing that you would experience with a deficiency like folate or iron deficiency. That's more breathlessness. You might have you know, feelings of tightness in your chest. However, if this symptom comes on in response to uh, you've been exposed to something, obviously like a food or an allergen, and it's, you know, you're having signs of allergic reaction, then obviously you need to seek support immediately. And if it is accompanied by chest pain, tightness, etc., then you also need to seek um, immediate support in case, in case it's signs of a heart attack. I'll put the links in the show notes to signs of a heart attack and to signs of um, an allergic reaction because I just don't want you to dismiss those kind of symptoms as, oh, you know, this is a folate deficiency. It absolutely can be, um, but, you know, it can be an emergency as well. Okay, other symptoms worth being aware of are pale skin, 
IBS symptoms, a red, sore and smooth tongue and mouth ulcers and cold hands and feet. I've linked to a few evidence-based articles on folate deficiency symptoms that you can refer to in the show notes if you kind of just want to get a, you know, an overall idea of the symptoms. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes. Okay, so now let's look at causes. There are a number of causes of folate deficiency, but I wanted to mention the ones that are related to endo the most in this episode. So number one is restrictive diets due to having an upset stomach. Folate comes from foods like fruits and veggies, beans, and organ meats like liver. And one of the most common causes of folate deficiency is not eating enough of these foods. Of course, an unhealthy diet rich in processed and packaged foods and low in veg, fruit, etc. would be one explanation. But in terms of our community, I often see people restricting these foods due to IBS issues. People with endo are more likely to have small intestine bacterial overgrowth and general GI problems, which can lead them to restrict foods that can exaggerate symptoms, which is often foods rich in fiber, like you know what's coming, fruits, vegetables, and beans. So if you're having stomach issues, which is causing you to restrict these healthy foods, my first piece of advice would be to begin working on your gut health. It doesn't have to be complicated either. Yes, in the cases I work with, we do tend to have to work on SIBO, but not everyone will need to go that far. I've linked to some resources in the show notes if you want to start addressing your gut health problems. Next up is celiac disease an autoimmune disease where gluten triggers the immune system to attack and damage the small intestine. This in turn lowers our ability to absorb nutrients, and so nutrient deficiencies can occur, and in fact, B12, folate, vitamin D, vitamin B6, iron, copper, and zinc are all common deficiencies in in undiagnosed or untreated celiac patients. People with endo have an increased risk of celiac disease and the symptoms of celiac disease are really not always obvious. So I encourage you to have a listen of my celiac disease episode, which I've linked in the show notes. Birth control. Yes, this might be a surprising one, but oral contraceptives have been shown to deplete folate levels as well as B12, selenium, vitamin C, zinc, B2, and B6. What's very frustrating about this is that a number of these are antioxidants, which help us to fight oxidative stress. People with endo have lower levels of antioxidants and higher levels of oxidative stress, which contributes to endometriosis progression and symptoms. If an endo patient chooses to use birth control to help manage their endo symptoms, which is entirely their right, but you know, remember it's not a cure, then at the very least, they should be made aware of the risks and recommended to potentially supplement. In fact, supplementation for anyone using birth control is advised by the European Review for Medical and Pharmacological Sciences, but I doubt many of us have had that information. 
Additionally, as we've just discussed, people with endo are more likely to have gut issues that impair absorption of nutrients. So couple that with birth control and you can see why it's particularly important to be aware of the risk and maybe increase food intake, perhaps supplement, get regular testing of folate and other nutrients and address root causes where required. Finally, there is the MTHFR gene mutation. These variants are relatively common in the general population. The MTHFR gene provides instructions for making the MTHFR enzyme, and this enzyme converts folate found in plant foods into its usable form. There are a number of mutations of this gene which can lead to an impairment in the enzyme, resulting in less usable folate in the body. Okay, so now let's talk about testing. The obvious test for folate is a folate blood test, which your doctor should be able to readily order for you. However, there are problems with doing just this test. Most blood tests are looking at your total folate, which includes both the active form, so the usable form, and the inactive form, the unusable form that the body needs to convert. You may have plenty of the inactive form of folate in the body, but if your body is having trouble converting it, then you may have low levels of the active usable form, but we just can't see that on the blood test. So if your levels come back normal, but you're showing signs of folate deficiency, I would do a few other tests. Firstly, rule out iron, B12 and vitamin D deficiencies because they can look a lot like folate deficiency. It can also be helpful to do a complete blood count. If your MCV is high, this means that your red blood cells are enlarged and that can indicate the megaloblastic anemia that we talked about earlier, which is caused by folate deficiency. You could also check your homocysteine levels, which would be higher with folate deficiency. And there is also the red blood cell folate test, which looks at folate levels in your red blood cells and can indicate a folate deficiency if low. Finally, there is the methylammonic acid test, otherwise known as the MMA test. MMA is a byproduct of folate and B12 metabolism. And so this test could give you a clue as to whether you're having problems converting and using folate in which case it would be worth doing the MTHFR gene test. And of course, if your levels of MMA are low, it could indicate B12 or folate deficiency. Okay, so what are you looking for on your test results? For a standard folate blood test, optimal levels are more than eight micrograms per liter. There is a variant advice on this. One of my courses recommends this, but most tests don't require this. But testing after an eight-hour fast may give you more accurate results, but check in with your doctor or the lab you're ordering with to confirm. The other test will provide you with reference ranges, and it will be clear if levels are elevated for your MCV on your full blood count and if homocysteine levels are high. And it will also be clear if your MMA levels are low as well. In terms of supplementing, it's of course always best to start with food sources of folate. And I've linked to a great evidence-based article on folate-rich foods, but we're looking at increasing veggies, fruits, nuts, seeds, beans, and pulses, and organ meats if you can hack it. If you know you have the MTHFR gene mutation, it would be worth increasing your intake of liver and eggs, which contain the active form of folate, which your body doesn't have to convert. So you don't have to have the MTHFR enzyme to convert this folate because it's already in the bioavailable form. Supplement-wise, in functional medicine, we use about 400 micrograms per day, 
but more may be required for those with an MTHFR gene mutation or who are pregnant. The NHS states that taking one milligram or less per day is unlikely to cause any harm. So that would be a thousand micrograms. When looking for supplements, try to avoid supplements with folic acid, which is a synthetic form and is not easily absorbed by the body. So you could be wasting your money. Instead, you can use folinic acid, which is an unmethylated but easy to absorb natural form of folate. Or you can use a methylated form called L-methylfolate. Some people, even those with the MTHFR gene, cannot tolerate methylated folate as it can cause overstimulation, nervousness, anxiety, etc. If that is you, including myself, I am one of those people, folinic acid could be a good option. Of course, we don't want to just supplement our way out of a problem. If you have a deficiency, especially one that's not improving with supplementation, it's important to work on those levels, but also figure out why this is happening. Additionally, and finally, always consult your doctor or healthcare practitioner when adding in new supplements. Okay, I hope this episode was really helpful and enlightening, and I will see you all next week. So if you found this episode helpful and you want to learn more about living well with endo or you'd like some further help, I wanted to remind you of the resources I have available to you and how you can work with me if you'd like to. So I obviously have hundreds of these episodes for you to binge on and I do have two free columns. So one on endometriosis net and one on endometriosis news and there are countless articles on there to help you thrive. You can also sign up to my newsletter for tips and updates. I have a digital cookbook and nutrition guide, This Endo Life, It Starts With Breakfast, which you can download for just $9.99. And if you want to go that step further, I have short and budget-friendly masterclasses in nutrition, surgery prep and recovery, and natural pain relief. I also have a DIY course, Live and Thrive with Endo, The Foundations, which you can sign up to at any time at a really affordable price point and you have lifetime access to. So you can go at your own pace and literally look back at it years down the line. This four module course will provide you with the most effective yet easy to digest tools and strategies to reduce your pain, fatigue, endo belly, brain fog and hormonal symptoms and allow you to live your life again. Each lesson includes the core foundational needle movers that I have seen work for my clients time and time and time again. You get all the essential information that you need to be endo without the overwhelm. Finally, you can apply to work with me one-to-one. This is my most advanced and personalized offer, so I only take a handful of clients. To find out the details and the application process, head to my coaching page. The links to all of these resources and ways to work with me are in the show notes. And finally, to help others find this podcast and reach as many people with endo as possible, please leave a review and please share with your friends and family and subscribe. 